Welcome back to another episode of the Welcome to the Table podcast. My name is Khalil. My name is Sean. And we're super excited because we have a special guest on the show, one of our good friends. Yes, and a listener, a fellow listener. And we've also roped her in a little bit to even help on with the podcast. We'll, Let's talk about we'll who get to that is. in a second, though. Who we'll get that is. in a second. <laughs> This person, this, who her is this name person? is Acacia Gibson, and she's, she's got flannel on. She does have a flannel. <laughs> a good friend. She's actually working at Hope Church, the church that I'm at right now. Recently hired on to become a part of the team, which is awesome. But also been a friend through young adults and just some other things in life. And so, uh, all three of us, we've read this book together. It's called "You Are What You Love," and so yes. uh, we wanted to just dialogue about these concepts together and. Sean, I'll let you brag on Acacia a little bit, but yeah. uh, she is a great mind, a great follower of Jesus, and a great voice to have on here. Well, Acacia is a scholar in her own right and theologian. She's a fantastic brand new wife. And like I said, I alluded to it very quickly. Quickly, She does help us on the podcast with some artwork and different things. And mm-hmm. But more than that, she really... I mean, she really loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so her passion for the scriptures and for the word fuels your every day and how you live your life. And it really kind of, this book really kind of complements that as well. And I know we'll get into that even more. So Acacia, what else do we need to know about tell, you? <laughs> tell our people, what's one other thing you think that everybody needs to know about you? All the listeners, all of them. Wow. Hello, all the listeners. (laughs) One thing about me, one thing that really shaped me is the amount of siblings that I have. Oh, Um, yeah. yeah. How many is that? I'm one of nine. I'm a middle kid, which is also important. Wow. So. (laughs) You are the middle. I'm the middle. Are you like right in the middle? Number five. five. Yeah, five. Four older, four four younger. Yeah, wow. Yep. I was raised by the oldest and then I raised the youngest. That is interesting when you think about it. In that way, you were raised by the oldest, but you raised the youngest. Yes. So I didn't learn how to cook or anything. I just learned how to delegate chores. <laughs> and that has made her an exceptional leader. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly. What my mom says. Well, and you aren't from the West Coast either. No. You just kind of, you kind of moved out to the West I Coast. Transplanted. Yeah. What's the short story? Yeah. Can you give, give us the cliff the notes sh- of that? Give us the cliff notes. Okay. How you ended up here? Yeah. So my. I was going to a school called College of the Ozarks in Branson, Missouri, and then they I was taking graphic design as my major, mm-hmm. and they discontinued the major, so it's a small private Christian college, discontinued the major, so my advisor was like, well, we could kind of make up one and mm. throw together some other courses and make something. I was like, well, I don't really know what I want to do, really. I don't know if that's the route I want to go. So my sister called me, I dropped out. And then my sister called me and she was like, Hey, you're not going anywhere with your life. You should should come out to Oregon. And uh, her husband is a graphic designer. So he showed me, he had his own like side business. So he was like, I can show you how to do this. If this is what you really want to do. It's not really Mm. what I want to do. I like (laughs) art, but I don't, it just ruins it to do it for a business. So So then I moved, they actually left. So I moved to the coast with them and then six months later they moved away. So I stayed because I loved it. And so I moved in with my aunt and then I met 
Taya, one of my coworkers at the coffee shop that I was working at, and she invited me to Hope Church. And yeah. There you go. Yeah. And then and then I met Khalil like a few months a few weeks actually. Yeah, probably a, few, a couple weeks, yeah. Yeah, because it was Halloween. And then we took a coast trip, and then he was like, why are you not in school? And I was like, well. For ministry, yeah. specifically. Yeah. I definitely saw that. Yeah, God wanted to use you in some some other ways. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. had a really cool, what's the word? Feng shui? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Khalil has a cool feng shui. <laughs> vibe. A little vibe, yeah. I was going to say advice. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> a good recommendation for a school, I should say, because, yeah, Northwest University is a really good option for me, so. That's what I'm doing now. Yeah. And you'll go on to continue your studies. And there's a reason why I said you're a scholar, theologian, and it's not just me being uh, facetious or tongue in cheek. So mm-hmm. we very well respected biblical nerd that has joined <laughs> the table. I with love us. learning. So we yes. love it's nerds yes. around the table. Nerds right. around the we table. Love it's it. my favorite kind of table. <laughs> yeah. And all of those who listen, you are nerds as well. And it's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. awesome. We, we, we welcome all those to the nerd table, anyone and everyone who want to be. So we're glad you're here with Thank us. You. And we are talking this book by James K.A. Smith, You Are What You Love. It's a, it's a formative book, really, and it's really been a challenging read. But I think it goes beyond just the book. And yeah. so yeah, I would say there's more to it. This book that. is one, as soon as I read it, I went, man, this is mandatory reading for every Christian. Mm-hmm. I think this is mandatory reading for every Christian. So yeah. we'll put the link to the, the book in the show notes as well. But yeah, it's a, it's a challenging book. And what's crazy to me is just how much it challenged my current thinking, my, my preconceived notions. And I really believe uh, you guys can speak for yourself, but it, I think it changed the trajectory of my walk with Jesus Mm -hmm. and how I think of my time and my energy and my resources and where my attention goes and all of that. So Acacia, could you help us kind of get us started? Like just what, what's a short overview or this idea? The title is you are what you love. It's called the spiritual power of habit. What, what does this mean? Yes. So this book was incredible and really challenged me because as a learner and a thinker, I want to believe that I am as much knowledge as I can possibly get. Mm. And I am the sum of that, but that's not true. I, that it, and this book challenges the idea that a lot of our culture and education systems, the premise of it being that we are made mainly thinking things Mm -hmm. and that he challenges that and says that's not true because if that were true then learning more would lead to behavior change Mm -hmm. and that's not usually the case no and so he's saying you are what you love and you don't necessarily know what it is that you love Mm. what you desire most yeah Mm -hmm. and with that i mean that that premise they use the image of like we're not just you know brains on a stick mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, right. we we've made so much in our culture everything's about knowledge i mean we we kind of idolize knowledge and we can even sometimes assess the value of another individual based on how much they know mm-hmm. and do i know more than they know am i smarter than they are or, oh they're so much smarter than me like that's a way we determine value in a lot of ways but what's the old adage is i think therefore i am mm-hmm. right that idea that oh what i think is how I should understand who I am and what I believe and what I live for. And this thing, that may not be as true as we yeah. think it is. In fact, there, there are some deeper things going on. And it really comes down to the, the, the notion of what is in our heart, the longing of our heart, ultimately. Yeah, and those types of things, those ways of behavior, if you will, or 
that modus modus operandi, the way we operate is a result out of the of modernity and in light of the enlightenment period we have an episode with uh, lauren kearns you can go back and listen to if you'd like to to go deeper in that but it really is about our guts about our heart and the scriptures i love that the bible really speaks to this like thousands of years before this book is ever written and one scripture that's really a linchpin for me is Psalm 139, 23, and 24. We often use this scripture in, in other ways to, to talk about how, how God knows who we are and that we're formed in the womb and, and from birth we matter and purpose and all that, which is true and good. But then it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Mm-hmm. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the implication is that I don't even know my own grievous thinking or even the dark recesses of my heart my heart is deceived and can lead me astray if not armed properly under the authority of god as the psalm is even kind of alluding to and so um i think it's a fantastic metaphor really words on the page there for for how we're formed so so you said it was a really challenging book Mm -hmm. when you first starting to think of these ideas what was what did you find to be the most challenging for you or how did it affect you the most well I didn't like that Mm. I'm not what I think (laughs) like I didn't like that the sum of what I spend all my time trying to learn and understand it doesn't make me the person that I want to be it doesn't make me behave the way that I want to and I know Mm. that as a reality in my life And this just really made me think about, I want to be a person with better habits. I want to be a person who is consistent with spiritual disciplines. Why don't I do that? If I say that, and I know, Mm. I know all of the, the good positive implications of doing that. Why can't I stick to it? Or why isn't this actually what I desire? So I didn't realize that that was the heart of the issue. Mm. And I think there's, so there's this, a, there's this constant tension in this conversation between what we think or even what we say or what we proclaim versus um, what really is. And I'm kind of bouncing all over the place in my head a little bit. But one of the things that we culturally do is, you know, when we look at problems in the world and we look at we look at whatever the issue is, oftentimes we think the solution is more education. Mm-hmm. The solution is if, if people know more, if there's more knowledge on this, if there's more awareness, whatever, then that education, that, that learning is the way we're going to change the world. So largely society thinks that salvation is in the mind, right? The way to become mm-hmm. a new human is just to mm-hmm. get more education. Mm-hmm. And, right. and so we even do that in our approach to discipleship. I mean, I want to be a better follower of Jesus. So it's like, I need to go to Bible college or I need to learn more. If I could study more, if I could do more apologetics and learn better answers to difficult questions. And if, if I just know more, then I'm going to be a better follower of Jesus. And one of the things that I really like in this book is James K. Smith makes a great point. He says that Jesus isn't a teacher who just informs our intellect, but one who forms our very loves. Mm -hmm. And you think about the difference between our thoughts and our actions. Like you were saying, I like, 
I'm smart enough to know what Jesus says mm-hmm. and to know what is right and to know what is sin and to know these things. And yet at the same time, I fall in habits of chasing after sinful things or pursuing things that I know are not good if I really were to take a step back. And so there's this gap between what I know and what I think and what I say and proclaim to people and what is oftentimes happening in my heart. And that's where there's a difference between what we think, what we know, and what we actually love and we desire. And there's this illustration of, he he cites a movie, but we could just say this idea. If there was a door, and we were told that if you walk through that door, you would get whatever it is you, you want most. You will receive whatever it is you want most, and you'll have it. Well, you see, think that you're like, that's awesome. I want to walk through that door. I want to receive what's on the, on the other side of that. You might think right now, I know what would be on the other side of that door, what I want most. And when you get up to that door and right before you walk through, there's this moment all of a sudden where it's like, do I actually know what I want most? You know, I know what I would say I want most. Like I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I would say I want Jesus most. I want to be in relationship with him the most. But I also know idols creep into my heart sometimes. It's something that I'm not even aware of. So then the question is, if I walk through that door, do I actually want Jesus most or am I going to get something else? And so it just goes to show and it challenged me is like in many ways, I might not even know what my heart really longs for most. Those subtle cravings or subtle idols or subtle desires. Yeah. And on the like talking about discipleship, the implications of this for discipleship, it made me really think because as a person who is pursuing higher education, I would love to be a teacher or professor of biblical studies of anything to help people understand the Bible better and theology. Mm -hmm. And that's a passion of mine, Mm -hmm. but that's not the solution. Like I can teach people all day long what the correct answer is in a multiple choice, Mm -hmm. but do they... Like, are they a follower of Jesus? And it makes me think that imitation and rituals and practices is really the answer to discipleship rather than just a five-week class. Mm. Knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you you talked about it, and that was kind of the question. You alluded to it right now. He talks about liturgies. How would you, for our listeners, describe liturgies for them? How would you, how would you help, help somebody, if you were to talk to them about liturgies, how would you talk to them about yes. it? Yes, that was actually something in the book that I kind of had to re, th- like change how I think about, because yeah. when I heard that, I just think of old church. Right, <laughs> right, high church. Yeah, yeah Catholic, the, yeah. yeah. Catholic, right, Presbyterian. So, yeah. so but he <laughs> really, he made me want to start practicing liturgies and, and to think about the liturgies as the the kind of the storylines that we subscribe to the the realities that we that we shape our life around so he talks about he in the book James K Smith talks about the liturgy of going to the mall and the liturgy of consumerism oh, yeah. and how every store that you walk by is luring you in you want this on this mannequin or whatever mm-hmm. just so it's what we surround our lives with that draws us toward what mm. we desire most. It feeds an appetite. So he talks about spiritual liturgies as being in the church, um, mm. liturgies of worship, liturgies of reading the Bible, but he talks about them differently rather than just like a checklist. Mm-hmm. It's why are you doing them? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. One of the things that... Um, 
comes up here a lot in this thinking versus the actual desires of our heart. I'll use the affections of our heart, what really has our attention. I mean, we, we worship what we love, right? And when you yeah. worship something, you, you center your life around it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I worship, if you can tell someone truly worships Jesus in the sense that they make their life about Jesus. They surround their environment with the things of Jesus. Maybe you see Bible, maybe you see other Christian things, right? They go to church, they, part- they serve in the local ministry, they give tithes and offerings. Your, when something has your heart and you worship it, you give your time and your affection and your energies to it. So the idea of the mall or really anything else in our life, we can say one way you can determine what you love is what gets your time, yeah. what gets your energy, what gets your thoughts. I mean, what posters do you have up? What are the, what's the background on your phone? What, what are the things that you spend your time thinking about pursuing? Right. What's going to get your money? What are you meditating on repeatedly? Mm-hmm. And the challenge here is that he's saying liturgies, which I would just describe as rhythms of repetition, patterns, right. that a liturgy is really a rhythm of your daily life. So we all have different liturgies in our life. If you brush your teeth every morning, that's a liturgy. Let's hope you it, do. It's a rhythm. We hope. <laughs> deodorant. You know. Maybe we better put deodorant on. Sorry, you just made me think of middle school boy cabins. Uh-huh. And, and Camp the, season. Sorry, that was a little flashback. You know, that's why I paused. That's intense. But, but your rhythms, like you have, yeah, you'll have a, a liturgy of hygiene or you'll have a liturgy around your meals and, right. and what you eat. Sleep patterns. The, the sleep patterns. And so... You start to practice these things. If you're an athlete, you have liturgies of practice every single day. And the point here is that it's not what we think that shapes us the most. It's what we do. It's mm-hmm. where we spend our time. It's where our habits go repeatedly. And so, you know, if you, it doesn't matter if you want to be healthy and your desire right. is, to have, is to have a good diet. And you say, I know that I should eat well. Right. You can know that you should eat well and want to be on a diet. And yet, for some reason, you don't exercise and you don't eat well and you continue to pursue the junk food. Well, what does that say? It's not that in, in word you would say, I love or I, I want to be healthy. But your habits, your actions, the liturgies of your life show that you actually love something else more. Mm-hmm. You love a you love a different lifestyle more. And so, in in our pattern, in our walk with God in daily life, I just think about it this way: in the sense that, like Sean, there's so many different um, cultural liturgies mm-hmm. that are written. I was even going to say maybe you could just think of some for us. Like yeah. our culture is writing is writing a rhythm for us right. and we can get sucked into that and that can shape us more than some of the, some, what really Jesus should be. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't I, know if there's anything you'd add. Yeah. And I'd love to, I think that's a great question and I'd love to even hear Acacia, your response to that. I'll give you a second to think about it though. Part of the problem I believe is in America, say in the West, we have believed hooks, hook line and sinker that we belong to ourselves Mm -hmm. and so everything is it is an all out marketing for lack of a better term attack on humanity in the west to think that you are your own person and so with that you have it's just we naturally are bent towards thinking of 
I form myself. I'm responsible for me. I don't, I don't answer to anybody but myself. And it's even creeped into the church, into Christian life and living. And so, and so everything is pinpointed toward that media, our, our education, everything is metrics. So, so it's all about competition and getting to the top. Even if you're like, you don't want to get to, it's all about production and performance and success as, as defined either by the individual person, whoever's God's or God that they proclaim they have. And so, so what we have is in technology, I would say as an example, it's constantly catering. It's constantly shaping us. It's constantly shaping the, the, the person that you are. I, I can't remember what I was talking to. I was talking to a, a college student who works with college students. She might have just graduated, but she, she's, she's interacting with college students who are averaging six to eight hours a day on, in front of the screen. Mm-hmm. And so it is absolutely, and I'll steal from Khalil, deforming, reforming, deconstructing, deconstructing, reconstructing, and we don't even necessarily realize it because mm-hmm. it's so natural because our culture is so naturally bent on you're the God of your life. You know what I mean? And so you're responsible for you. You don't, you're not owned by anybody or anything, which is not true. We know that's not true. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's exactly what you're thinking, but there's a book called You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. I'm halfway through it. It's a good counterpart to this book, I think. Or I'm finding out that it is. So that's another good read. But anyway, yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think while I was reading this book, I was realizing that it's, he's talking about that cultural's, cultural's liturgies oh. are very me-centric. They're very right. much, you. it's your truth. It's all subjective. You can define and redefine mm-hmm. however many times you want with whatever you want. There is no mm-hmm. objective truths to bow down to you can change whatever and and it's also it's it's weird to me because it's the newest things are the best things so you have to Mm -hmm. keep getting the newest things and you are it's there's this constant a message of you are enough you do you you Mm -hmm. are the most important person ever but also you need to be just like this very popular person that yeah, you watch every day. Yeah. So it's very, it's like this mixed message of you, you be you and be the best you and be unique, but also you won't be the yeah. best you until you have this and this and the this thing and that this. everyone else is right. looking for. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, when I ask that question, some of the things I think about though too is, you know, there's this person that I desire to be mm-hmm. and I, I'm constantly missing that mark, but it's like, uh, you know, Christ is constantly reforming us. And you use that word, reforming and deforming is how I think about it. And so there's this biblical narrative in the Bible about, you know, Babylon versus being God's people. And Babylon is this nation that is actively against God, mm-hmm. uh, does not have the same morality as God, the same goals of God, does not live for the worship of God, but the worship of self. And what Babylon does to anyone who is uh, consumed by Babylon is it tries to assimilate everyone to be like Babylon. So if you, you know, for Israel, when they were 
taken over by Babylonian captives. They were forced to wear the Babylonian clothing and do the Babylonian activities and the Babylonian rituals and habits and worship the Babylonian gods. And the whole point of that was that they would forget that they were Israelites, that they would forget who they were and who they were supposed to be, and they would be immersed in the wave of Babylon, that there would be no power left in them to resist, right? They would just be assimilated and Babylon would be stronger. Well, the same thing is true today. And we as Christians are meant to be different than the society we live in. And yet we don't realize that most of the patterns or the rhythms or the liturgies of our daily life are the same as our culture. So we listen to the same music and we watch the same movies and we pursue the same goals and activities and try to reach the same goals in our careers without oftentimes asking ourselves if that is godly or if that it worships God or if that is pursuing something else. And so, you know, if, if someone battles with lustful thoughts, but you're listening to culture's music and watching culture's movies, it's no surprise because sexuality is the narrative of the culture and mm-hmm. hypersexualizing everything. And so Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And renewing our mind requires putting off old things and putting on new things. So, if you know, to bring it back to there's this person I want to be, but I'm not him. I fall short. I, I miss that mark. Well, let's think about my daily rhythms because I'm practicing right. being a type of person. If I'm listening to lust-filled music and watching lust-filled movies, I am practicing being a lustful person. Right. And so it's talking about forming and deforming. It's deforming me away from the ultimate goal. And I think that's something we're getting at here is uh, liturgies or rhythms that we put in our life. They're actually practices that become habits that shape what we desire. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not what you think, but you are what you love, you you are what you spend your time doing. Mm. You you desire what you spend your time pursuing. So in order to be renewed, to renew your mind, you have to change what you do and change what you pursue and change what you live for. If someone wants to be a professional athlete, they cannot live certain habits. They have to pick up a daily practice and continue to be right. consistent with their, with their skills and abilities and exercise and condition because that's how you become a type of person. And the same thing can be done in our spiritual lives. And so the question that it made me ask was, wow, if there's these practices that I'm doing that are shaping me and I don't even realize it, are there practices, are there liturgies, are there rituals that could shape me to be more like Jesus, mm-hmm. that are practices that I could make a regular part of my life so that instead of being shaped away from God, I am being shaped more and more towards God every day through these habits mm-hmm. and these practices? And I would say, to summarize, the answer is yes. And on our show, we talk a lot about spiritual disciplines. Yeah, we do. And so I would say right now, those really are foundational liturgies spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and regular prayer and fasting and silence and solitude and and scripture meditation and memorization, these are pillar practices and habits that shape you to be like Christ and not like this world. And those are liturgies that we can put on in our lives. And again, repetition, habit, habit, habit changes our affections. It changes our desires. Because when you do something long enough, (laughs) if you eat healthy long enough, you start to desire healthier food. Yeah. But if you never start, you never learn to. Yeah. 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 You're, you talking, as you're talking, I'm reminded of the book that I just finished, Atomic Habits. Um, And because for me, I can hear that all day long. I can hear 
here are the spiritual disciplines that here's the list. I used to try to look up all of them and keep a list and yeah. be like, which ones do I want to start? Which ones do I want to start? And, I, and the answer was all of them because I hadn't done all of them. But, <laughs> yeah. but, in a, and I would always try to like make up a way to do it, but I could never do it. And mm-hmm. the reason was I, I didn't, um, look through what my, I didn't take inventory of what my habits were currently. I didn't look, think through what my, my daily habits were. And as I was reading this book, Atomic Habits was, which really complements this book Mm -hmm. well, because it helped me in the practical everyday application of new habits. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I've been doing recently is with my calendar that I keep every day, I am starting to add a new habit, which, and the way that I think about it is, what's a habit that I want to start to become the person that that I want to, to live like? And the author, James Clear, mm-hmm. he says, it's a vote. Your, each of your habits, each of your choices is a vote towards the person that, you're, that you would love to be. That's good. And so... So I, one thing that he said to do is to one habit that you're wanting to begin is to calendar it next to a habit that you already have. So mm-hmm. after I do this, then I'm going to do this as well. Mm-hmm. And for me, it has really helped because I didn't think I was a morning person. I actually said I hate like <laughs> yeah, I was not a morning person. <laughs> I had to text my friends and say, I'm going to be up by seven and I need to text you. (laughs) Otherwise I'm still sleeping and accountability is great. But one thing that I started doing was the night before during my nightly routine, I would set out the things that I was going to read or Mm -hmm. write. And then the next morning, so that would become a habit at night. And then in the next morning it would already be ready. Mm -hmm. It would be easily accessible for me to do the thing that I want to become Mm -hmm. the type of person. I'd make it easier for me to do those things. I think one of the things about, these reads that we're talking about, and I know Khalil's going to mention another one, is that it is a submission to the authority of Christ, to King Jesus, the author of our story, and he's the greatest master that anyone could ever have. And what happens is it relieves us of any kind of responsibility or any kind of crushing weight of responsibility to handle our own self mm-hmm. as a as god of the lives or as center of the universe or or whatever because if we truly are our own person and truly we belong to no one or nothing yet we do at the same time then it's a huge responsibility to feel like oh my gosh i fall short all the time of my own standard i the weight of the expectations that i may or may not be placing on myself and maybe an outside source is crushing. What we're talking about right now is not necessarily a bunch of things you have to do, but it's, it's what am I already doing? And I already know it's not bringing fulfillment. And so James K Smith and and others that were mentioning Alan Noble, there's this underlying either implicit or explicit current that says, it's good to submit our lives to Jesus and and our loves to him because in essence the weight of responsibility or the expectations it totally shifts to over to grace and so like Acacia what you're saying here like so even when I think okay all these habits I want to do like I 
I get I get joy out of doing these things. Yeah. They don't become necessarily have to, mm-hmm. but I look at these and I'm like, oh man, I fall short. I violate those habits and, and I and I'm it's it's bumpy and messy, but it's it's still a joyful process mm-hmm. because I don't have to perform or hit a certain tation or or whatever in order to receive my identity and and self-worth and pats on the back or value. I'm already valued way before all of this. And and so and I know James K. A. Smith, he talks about that a little bit too, but you know, it's 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 so different when I say when I get up and I say, okay, before I hit the ground, I'm going to spend 30 seconds in silence. Hmm. You know, I'm gonna meditate on a scripture that I'm read and I do this I do this in terms of rhythms too. And when I get it wrong or I forget or my kids come in way too early in my in my bed and I'm already out the door in my car on my truck and I forget, there's grace. Hmm. Like it's beautiful. Well I think you bring it back to the heart of it all is that we are worshipers. Right. And we will all worship something. Always. And we will all submit to something. So the crazy thing about formation or spiritual formation or being changed or made new is that we don't do it. We are not as powerful as we think we are. Right. And so who changes us to be like Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. Right. He mm-hmm. changes us. But also it's culture that makes us like culture. We we don't change ourselves that much. We don't have that much power. But we can put ourselves in situations and positions where we we are more susceptible to be changed. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to immersing ourselves in cultural habits and things and rhythms, we will become more like that. But as we immerse ourselves in the things of Christ and the things that are like Christ and the things that make us like him, we will be drawn that way. We will be shaped that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I desire that. But if we think about our our habits as like kind of feeding our hungers, I, I was thinking about fast food and just use the food metaphor again. I used to eat fast food all the time and didn't think anything of it. And so, and then eventually I remember, and I didn't have a desire to change. I enjoyed my McDonald's French fries, sponsor <laughs> us, but I enjoyed it. I, I went after it. I pursued it. I paid for it. But then eventually I remember thinking, I want to, I kind of desire a different diet. I want to eat a little healthier. And so I wanted to eat healthier, but I still went for the fast food. So again, my desire, my heart, my, what I thought I wanted still didn't reflect my habits. But over time, you start to make some habits of, no, I'm going to put better food in front of myself. And I'm not going to even have my debit card on me. So I can't stop by McDonald's, Mm -hmm. whatever you have to do to, to change your habits eventually you start doing that new thing and then you start to desire the healthier food. And then when you look at the junk food, it's like, I don't really want it as much. And eventually you just don't really want it at all. And something James K. A. Smith says, he says, our habits change our hungers. Right. So we want to hunger for the things of God, but maybe our habits have made it so we, we don't even really desire to change. Maybe you don't desire to listen to different music or desire. You want to watch those shows. You want to do those things. You want to hang out with those friends. You want to speak that way. But if you will put habits in place that draw you towards God, transform and renew your mind, eventually those new habits will change your hungers to the point that you, and many of our listeners, you guys have experienced this where you go, I don't really want to watch those movies anymore. I don't really want to listen to that music anymore. I don't really want to hear people talk like that because our habits change our hungers. And this is what we call rehabituation. It's replacing habits with new habits. And to go back to what you were talking about with atomic habits, 
the premise of that book, which we'll put in the show notes as well, is that you make those bad habits harder and less attractive. Mm-hmm. Right. You make them painful to do and you make the good habits really, really easy and really attractive. So if your bad habit is you look at your phone first before anything mm-hmm. and your good habit would be y- y- reading your Bible first thing in the morning, then you put your phone all the way across the room and turned off and you have your Bible right by your bedside table right. open mm-hmm. so that it's easier to get to that, more desirable to get to that and harder to get to the bad one. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you replace, that's kind of part of the premise of atomic habits is make those make those bad habits harder to get to put them further away and put the good ones right in front of you yeah. and and through that we can start to replace some of these things so right. with that in mind and as we're kind of drawing it to a close occasion we were thinking about just how do we how do we begin to live this out this idea that we are what we love that our habits or the liturgies and the rhythms of our life shape our affections how do we start to live that out how does that change how we we use our time or live our lives Yeah, so I think it starts with first understanding like what Sean was saying that it doesn't, it it takes practice Mm -hmm. and it takes grace. Mm -hmm. And it's, you're not going to just all of a sudden be this perfectly transformed human, but realizing like that's hard for me because I'm a perfectionist. If I don't know exactly how to do it right before I try it, I don't want to try it because I know I'm going to (laughs) fail. So for me, I have to have a growth mindset and know that this takes practice. Learning to love God. Mm-hmm. You have to teach yourself to love God. And, right. and that happens through the practices. And another thing I would say is to take inventory of your current habits. That was a really big game changer for me because I like to think that I am what I think about. <laughs> I like to think yeah. that I am the sum of my knowledge. But I have to really think about what cultures liturgies are and what those things those narratives are that i'm subscribing to and don't even realize it the consumerism or the wanting more just taking inventory of what daily habits i already have Mm -hmm. and then reading about jesus Mm -hmm. and reading about what were his daily habits what did Mm -hmm. he do all the time what did he think about what did he talk about how can i replace what I don't want to be, who I don't want to be like anymore, and put put healthy food in front of me, put right. put those habits, make them more accessible, make them more attractive. And I would say for me, like t- you're talking about music, mm-hmm. and I, I while I was reading this book, I was actually thinking about that because for me, I used to think that, like I used to listen to a lot of rap, and it <laughs> was just like, it was a vibe and it would be like, this is the mood that I'm in and I would be, but then I would listen to this music and it would put me, I would stay in that bad mood and it would fuel what I'm feeling. Mm. And so it felt like I was validating my feelings, but I was staying in that place. And so once I surrounded myself with people who encouraged me and people who brought life and light and brought truth to things, feelings that weren't necessarily reflecting truth, and then, then I started to realize that worship music can be really emotional and it, mm. can, it can validate your feelings, but also bring truth. So w- music was a big habit shift for mm. me where I don't even want to listen to certain music anymore. And I really desire, it's a desire of mine that it's a hunger that's fulfilled when I get to worship Jesus, even when I'm not feeling like it. Yeah. And I would add on to that, Alan Noble in his book, You're the Belonging Book, I can't remember the title right now, but (laughs) he talks about how 
we're all prone to self-medicate and how we are so overly saturated with medication and not just pills, but, you know, every, in every aspect. So to take inventory and see, what am I self-medicating with? Is it the shopping bug? Every time I get a package for that Amazon smile <laughs> on my door, what does it do to me? You know, and then what's the, the elation there and then the, and then the drop off. What am I consuming in terms of media, in terms of food or drink? We all are prone to self-medicate or to be addicted to something. And I think some statistics, I, anyway, I won't get into all the statistics, but because I know we got to wrap up, but I think that's really good in terms of inventory. Okay, wait a minute. Let me pause. When I am in my highs, what am I, what do I do? And when I'm in my lows, what do I do? Like whatever I turn to, that is an indicator. It's, it's revealing your loves mm -hmm. in some sense. And so that's another way to take some inventory. I think that's a great place to really start mm -hmm. to really begin. Yeah. And to add a couple things and give a book too. I'll recommend the common rule by Justin Whitmore early. This is a kind of the, I highly recommend, we highly recommend reading. You are what you love. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, great first dive into this, especially yeah. the first four chapters of the book. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then after that, the common rule actually builds out of this book. It's a different right. author, but he cites this book as, and this idea as the foundation of his book. And he provides a lot of really practical uh, liturgies that you can mm -hmm. put in your life. Very practical ones having to do with the way you use your phone, the way you spend time in community with other people. So where it's not more things you have to do, it's just new habits you can have with the things you already interact with that shape who you are. And so check out Common Rule. It'll be in the show notes as well. But then also take an inventory of some of the influences in your life. We use this idea of there are things that form us into the image of God and there are things that deform us away from it. So, you know, if you're listening to lots of political news and commentary, it's forming your thoughts and your mm -hmm. worldview and your perspective. Maybe you replace some of that time with scripture and God's word. Like you said, secular music, uh, maybe taking some time to listen to some worship music or spend time in meditation on the scripture. Take inventory of the movies and the shows that you're watching and ask yourself, are these deforming me away from the image of God? Or are they forming me into the image of God more? Think about how, you, like you said, shopping, how you spend your money, how you utilize your tools and your resources. Are these moving me towards individualism and selfishness or generosity and Christ-likeness? And just mm -hmm. take an inventory of the rhythms in your daily life and think about if there's a healthier rhythm to replace it. Mm -hmm. And as we make those little shifts and little changes, it, it changes everything because we are transformed by the renewing of our mind through repetition, repetition, repetition. And sometimes repetition can feel inauthentic, but no basketball player would say that. Repetition mm -hmm. of practice. No mm -hmm. soccer player would say that. Mm -hmm. No classical piano player would say that. In fact, repetition is the only way to true formation and true change. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think, we, we get that a little off in our, in our discipleship. But what are some disciplines you could practice and, and embrace repetitively that would change you into the image of God and change your affections and your desires towards him? Mm -hmm. We're going to give you the last word. Oh. Okay, sure. We want to eat. What's the, the last word? We'll go to you. No pressure. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you think? No help. It'd be a final encouragement even. Yeah. Even like a final encouragement. Well, I would say don't throw 
all of your bad habits. Like don't throw your entire routine out and try to do a hundred million things new tonight. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say do a little bit at a time. Start with the basics. And I would say your physical health will have an effect on your spiritual health. Mm. So I think even starting with brushing your teeth in the morning, making your bed when you get out of it, maybe it's, I don't know, taking a shower or eating healthier. Start with those things and then you'll be in a, a good mindset physically, be hydrated and all of that, and then and then start building in the the daily prayer and the daily reading of scripture. And I would say start with the basics and mm. don't feel like you have to be just like Jesus and have all of these disciples and be so wise yeah. tomorrow. You start small and have, give yourself grace. Liturgies of the ordinary. Yeah. Start small, start give small. yourself grace. It's Keisha, good. thanks for being around the table yeah, with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for nerding out. <laughs> of course. And thank you listeners, as always, for listening to the Welcome to the Table podcast. Please show your appreciation for Keisha by giving us a rating and review. Leave your comments. We love to see them. And you can always subscribe, follow, share these episodes with someone because we really hope that this will be a resource that just betters people, serves them, helps people grow in their relationship with God. We know so many of us can feel stuck at times and we just need something in our corner to help us take that next step. So yeah. you could be that friend who shares that next step with someone who would mean the world for us, mean the world to them. And until our next show, uh, keep living the faith. Have a good one.